Saints, Saints, and friends, welcome back to the Vibe Central Podcast. Congratulations, you have yet again passed the Vibe Check, and we appreciate you all for coming and joining us on our final episode of this series. Let me tell you something. This series has put me through, okay? So on our closing episode, we have a guest for you all. Now, most of you all that listen, you go to Baltimore City School, so you're going to know who this is. So I'm going to start with the lesser qualities first. She has a high focus, high focus building, high quality teaching and learning and helping students excel. She is a member of the uh, sorority, Faye by the Kappa. Here's the part you all are going to know. She is the CEO of Baltimore City Schools. Dr. Dr. Sonia Pantelesis. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for having me here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you, sir. Good. Thank you. Good, good, good. So I guess since a lot of people that listen to the podcast don't really know what your day-to-day responsibilities are, let's start there. What are your daily responsibilities? No, it is a great place to, to start because if you're a student, you probably wouldn't necessarily know. So as the I student- don't either. So it's me. I'm we. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're part. There are a lot of people who don't. So a um, couple of things that I do. One, overall, generally speaking, I oversee the school system. So that means everything from, say, meetings about how we get new buildings, how we get roofs changed, right? So the physical, physical kind of plans of schools. And I work with our chief operating officer to do that, um, all the way to legislative matters that concern the school district. So during legislative session, I'm out lobbying for more funds for the school district, doing the case making uh, for that. Um, And then I shift all the way to actually being on the ground and uh, visiting schools. So I had a chance to um, attend Forest Park's graduation uh, last week. And then a couple of days before that, I was in a pre-kindergarten classroom um, at Beachfield. Uh, elementary, middle, and there I was doing a yoga class with pre-K students. I get a chance to talk to teachers, um, look into curriculum, but it really is a CEO. It's a it's a wide range of responsibilities, and I'd say the one thing uh, foremost for me is building a solid team because I can't teach every algebra class in the district. I can't teach every third grade class. Can't fix every roof. So a lot of it, which I know, you know, a lot of you all understand too, is built actually building teams, whether you're into drama, whether you're into radio, whether you're into sports, this whole idea of building a team, I think is probably one of the most important things I do. But that's a little bit of a snapshot. Was that helpful? That actually was very helpful. So I got a question for that though. What does that look like since the the whole uh, I call her Mentorona. I don't know what you call her. <laughs> I call her Mentorona. What does that look like since, you know, since the pandemic and now kids are finally, you know, with the hybrid plan, kids are going back into schools and parents are now feeling comfortable letting their kids even out of the house. So what does that look like going into schools uh, for you as the CEO? No, it's a, it's a great question. So this last year, um, at the beginning of the year, a lot of it looked like going into virtual classrooms, right? So I would hop into a virtual, you know, like a Zoom class or, you know, 
take a look at a, I can't remember what do we call it, the Kahoot, right? Like, so like, you know, the Kahoot, oh, yeah, the Kahoots. those kinds of things. So, you know, I'd go into, I had a teacher advisory group and I would meet with them via Zoom. So a lot of the going into, to your point, really was virtual going into, just like everybody mm -hmm. else. Um, as school has started opening little by little, you know, so we started in the fall, a lot of it was actually going out, making sure that everybody had what they needed. So, you know, did we have the cleaning protocols in place? Did we, you know, did folks have enough masks? Um, you know, and, you know, I heard from a lot of students and families, like, will there be enough soap, right, to wash hands? Uh, yeah. Right? And so... You know, everything from that to seeing how the distancing was going. And then most recently, you know, seeing how what we call the hybrid teaching, right, where some students were in, in class and some were virtual. Um, that's one of the places where I really got to see just how hard it is um, to do both, you know, for teachers. So it, I really moved with the flow depending on where we were in, in bringing uh, young people back and families back. So, you know, in, in October, November, I was only going to about 24 schools. In the yeah. spring, you know, I was going to, you know, we had all 150 schools open. So it, it, it's varied very much like, you know, your, your time as a student would be varied. Um, there were sometimes I was, you know, looking at meal distribution. So like last spring, you know, pamper distribution and can everybody get their work? Um, so I really flowed with where we were um, in school. So what was, I have one question though, because I've heard a lot about the, the, the hybrid kind of deal. People have, people have agreed, people have disagreed. People are like, oh yeah, finally we can go to school. And then parents are like, no, you're not. <laughs> so what is that? Like, what is that? What was the idea behind the whole hybrid plan? And some people are asking, why didn't y'all just wait until the upcoming school year? So that, I guess that's where I'm going with that is what, what was the idea behind uh, the hybrid plan? So, so the idea behind the hybrid plan was really knowing that different families were ready for different things. Different students were ready for different things. So yeah. we had a number of families who were saying to us, my student, my child is just not connecting at all. Like they, they are maxed out on zoom they are rolling over in bed they don't want to get up it's just not engaging we saw <laughs> you know larger instances of depression on a number and so th there yeah. was just some young people who needed to be back in school and so some of it was um for those families that needed that option who said it the distance piece is not working for us and not working for our kids we wanted yeah. them to have an option and then we had families, like you pointed out, who were like, no, nah, I'm not ready yet, um, right? They wanted to make sure the vaccine came in. They just weren't comfortable. In some places, it was, we've already got a rhythm, right? I've already figured out childcare. I've already figured out how we get people back and forth. And so to, to disrupt now doesn't make sense. But for us, one, we knew we could do it safely because we had had small groups of students back even last summer. So we knew we could do it safely, um, but we also knew that families and students were gonna want choice. And what the spring and the winter proved was that we actually could do it safe, safely. We didn't have major spikes in COVID cases or major outbreaks. We didn't have any because we did it well. 
and those families and you know one of my i have two sixth grade daughters and one of them had totally checked out like doing the virtual and when they got to go back in when she got to go back in april she was like a whole different kid and and it was real clear for her that being in person made a difference and so we wanted families to have the option and we showed we could do it safely and so if we couldn't have done it safely we would not have done it but we wanted to give families a choice i actually think the hybrid thing was a was a great plan because i know I, my whole year i stayed virtual i stayed virtual the entire year but that was a hard year and i'm not gonna sit here and lie that was a very hard year so i think the hybrid plan that was put in place for kids was was very good all right we're gonna shift gears a little yes, bit sure so um in lieu of everything going on in baltimore uh city schools for those of you that don't know or that are listening and that don't know um baltimore city schools have currently seen some um allegations if you will uh, allegations of assault, uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment. And so this was one of the main reasons that I called you Dr. Santelisis because I was like, you know, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna tell uh, you what I told everybody. I was like, forget this, give me the head honcho. And I wanna talk to Santelisis about this because this is a rising issue. Kids have, the, the students have opinions, the students are, um, confused, angry, upset. It, it's a it's a variety of emotions when you talk about this in a school system because one of the things that we think is you never thought it would happen in the school system. So, you know, a place where kids are supposed to be protected and safe, if you will, and these things are happening and some of the cases are coming out immediately. Some of the cases, like, I was afraid to tell people. So this is why I kind of pulled you on here. So if you would, uh, Dr. Santos, what are what are policies like what 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 do the policies look like to make sure that accusations or allegations of this you know kind of magnitude are taken seriously and are uh eradicated if, if you will so what is what does that look like no and i and i appreciate you you know you asking because it is a scary feeling and it would be a scary feeling for anybody right like wait this is going on and you know the feeling that nobody is addressing it or the experience of not feeling heard. So one of the first things that we've done is really just at a bottom line, launched an investigation, right? To say, okay, wait a minute. Um, young people who make a claim have to be heard. It can't just be, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you're making it up or, oh, it took place too long ago. So one of the first things we did is we said, we, we, have, to, we have to launch an investigation. So that, that was one piece. And yeah. I think that's an important piece for young people, for students to know. And that, to be honest, you know, to be frank, we had to clarify with school-based staff, right? Because what we saw in the policies, as you, I think, rightly pointed out, was that depending on how people were interpreting the policies, it would be yeah. very easy to say, well, you know, unless you, unless it reaches this level, it's not worthy of an investigation or not it hasn't reached the point of an investigation. And so one of the things that we also did in addition to launching an investigation is we've gone back over the policies and the guidelines and really the directives for schools to say, okay, where was the fuzziness and the confusion? Where was it not clear that it's not just, you know, when it gets to the most extreme level that it's worthy of an investigation, but yeah. that when it is repeated right 
when it is, you know, sexual harassment itself matters, it's not just that it has to end in a violent act, but that there are stages leading up to that, that we needed to make clear. Um, and we had some places where it was being addressed and we had others where it wasn't clear. So I think that was the second big piece. So one was to immediately say it needs to be investigated, two, to clarify, no, it's not just when it gets to the extreme that we push it, it's gotta be the steps along the way. And then the third piece was what what I was continually hearing from students was we, we felt like we were raising it and saying it, but we weren't being heard. And that should never be the case, right? It should never be the case that, you know, and I say all the time, it should never be the case that you weren't heard. There might be some disagreement about kind of what decisions were made or how we move forward. But in a lot of cases, what we were hearing from young people was we tried to surface it and nobody really did anything. Or we tried to surface it, yeah. and, it and it wasn't taken seriously. Seriously, yeah. Right? And that that's a huge issue. And so part of what we've done um, is really you know, we launched, at least in the case of one particular school, we've launched an advisory council to really say, okay, what, what part of the way that school runs is keeping young people's concerns, particularly in this area, from being yeah. addressed? And how, and how do we get the feedback about what are the policies um, that needs change? And so we've been doing a lot more groundwork in individual schools because that's the other thing young people said to us is, look, this might be the policy on the book. This might be how it rolls out in another school, but it doesn't mean it's happening that way every place. So we do have, um, we did launch an advisory council, particularly at BSA, where a lot of the attention, at least the media attention was given. That's but my school. Sorry. That's your I school? Had, what year are I you at BSA? I am 2023. Nice. Nice, so you don't have much longer to go. So what, one of the things that we've done at BSA is really said, okay, we need, we need a more formal body um, to actually make sure that this isn't just a one-time thing, we address it and then we move on and act like nothing else has happened. And so the advisory council members um, are really working in four subcommittees. So everything from safety, education, um, training and consequences, reporting practices. And I will say this, not just reporting practices that are kind of official for, for the adults in the system, but making sure that we communicate to students. So students know what their rights are. So students know this is how you report an incident and this is what you can expect to occur when you report something and if it doesn't occur this is what you can do because a lot of what we were hearing was you know students felt lost they felt like there was no other place to go if things weren't happening so that that's some of what we've put in place and i think that this you know to me one of the biggest pieces is it should never be that a young person surfaces this serious of a of a concern and and sexual harassment sexual assault is incredibly serious and Absolutely. we we've got to we've got to be able to put that in place not just for the incident but for the culture of the school Absolutely. So I have one question about uh, as far as the advisory council goes. So this advisory council um at my school hey y'all let me just do that real quick. <laughs> Please but do. uh the advisory council is that for the entire city school 
or does that go for just BSA or just this school or just this? Is that is the student council like overseeing the entire district? No, it's a, it's a great question. So I would say the BSA advisory council <clears throat> is specific to BSA because we wanted to make sure that there were members of the BSA community who could tell us what was going on at BSA. And what, we've, what we're also doing is we have a youth um, ambassador program that we've launched in about 12 high schools. And the whole purpose of the youth ambassador program is to have similar leadership, right? Kind of councils along with the student council in every high school. So to your question, the BSA advisory council, yes, is BSA specific. But we've actually received some funding to really grow out this youth ambassador program so that we have similar councils at every high school. So we'll start with, I think, 12, about 12 or 14. And then the intent is literally to grow it out and, and to provide young people with training, provide young people with the resources to be able, you know, again, to develop student friendly guides to this is how you report something this is what your rights are this is you know how how you get yourself hurt so i would say it's a both and bsa advisory councils for bsa but we're growing out other youth ambassador um groups because you're right it's not just an issue at bsa it's an issue at other places and we want to make sure every student regardless of where they go to school knows how to to send up the red flag knows how to get the help and the responsiveness that they need. Yeah, and I think it's really important for student voices to be heard, especially in all of this, um, because we need to know that what, whatever policies are being put in place, we are going to feel safe at the That's end of the day. Right. And if we're, gonna, if we're gonna go to this school and if we're gonna get our education here, we also have to make sure that it's a safe place for students, even adults as well, like it, it, a safe place, period. It just needs to be a safe place, like period. So yeah. my next question, I guess, is there, would there have to be, uh, I know we talked about the magnitude of it and the, the, before it gets to a big point, but how much information is actually needed for this to be, for this to be an investigation or for this to be made like, a, for lack of words, a case, if you will, like how much information is specifically needed? Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think it varies depending on where we are uh, with a particular issue or incident, right? Because we still have to have a due process system in place, right? And that, that's to protect everybody. Cause that means that just, you know, if we're gonna shoot straight to, you know, a full scale investigation through our internal investigations unit, you know, with, um, you know, our legal office for everything, that wouldn't be appropriate. But I think what we are seeing is that we want to be clear at each stage of flagging that everyone adults staff and students are clear so if you know if, if you have somebody you know walking in the hall and say look so and so another student said this to me and and this this made me feel unsafe if that's the first time that happened um, if it was, you know, saying something and didn't feel unsafe, what was it, right? That's going to be one step of investigation or follow-up. If we are, which is part of what we were seeing in some of the BSA claims, 
was over and over again, right? Like people are like, wait, it's not that I haven't flagged this before. I flagged it three times. And, you know, my my good friend Mitchell also flagged it, yeah, right? Also flagged it, yeah. Also flagged it. So now we're seeing some patterns. And I think those patterns are also, right, where you've got a different level of intervention. So part of what we're working to do is to say, you know, depending on where we are in this trajectory, that there are going to be different responses because there are times, um, you know, we, we just want to make sure we're also communicating a due process. So, you know, I can't just walk down the street and say, oh, Mitchell did this. And then all of a sudden Mitchell's being, you know, escorted down the hallway somewhere and right. nobody asked any questions at the same time. It shouldn't be, oh, Sonya's done that the last five times and nobody's called her on anything, right? Mm. So so part of it is, is really getting clear on what the response or range of responses are for yeah. a particular incident and a particular series of incidents. And that, that's part of what we were seeing at BFA, which is what made it so alarming and in need of a deeper investigation was that there were yeah. patterns forming and Absolutely. that's different but it also shouldn't be that you know now i gotta wait till 15 other people file a complaint for anybody to look into it um but but the looking into it is going to it's going to be different it's going to have a different feel than it does yeah. when we're actually looking for patterns does that answer the question mitchell it does it answers the question but i do have a, another follow-up question i know we talked about like due process and what like the responses that have to happen and knowing which responses have to happen for you know whatever specific cases but i have a i have a question concerning like uh, if we bring it to administration and it's i'm not gonna say downplayed yeah but i'm gonna say not exactly handled the way that it should have been handled mm -hmm. so with that being said is there a is there like a, a a list of rules set in place like if the if you bring it to administration and say hey this person did this this person's like okay well um just say sorry and hug you know like something crazy like that and they downplay it more and it should have been taken more seriously and handled more efficiently, if you will. Is there like a list of rules or policies or something in place to hold the, the teachers and the administrative council, um, administrative, I'm sorry, accountable rather than just saying, um, we need to do this for the kids, but the teachers didn't report it either. So what are we, what are the next steps for holding them accountable, like, like reprimanding, you know, Oh, absolutely. So, so, yeah. so we, we do have a disciplinary process um, yeah. for, for adults, for employees. Pa part of what we are also required to do is not have full discussions about that due to the privacy of the employee. So I know oh. a lot of times I've heard from students, it's frustrating. Well, like, well, what happened? Did somebody talk to so-and-so? You know, did they get a letter in their file? Did they get reprimanded? And the reality is that we don't have as much flexibility on reporting what happened to an individual who might not have followed the process because that, that's part of what we're required. It's the confidentiality that we're required. I can't, I can't go legally and tell what kind of disciplinary action that an adult got from the, the adult. Absolutely. So like, for example, there, 
there was another case somewhere else and you know there was a teacher who got you know some form of of discipline but but I, I can't go back and tell a group of students oh by the way this is what happened to this individual because I'm not permitted to do that based on just labor law and practices and everything else and and that I know is frustrating for young people you know we can say you know we address you know we did take issue but I can't say oh by the way we put a letter in that person's file because that, right. that I'm, not, I'm not permitted to do I think mm -hmm. though what we can do and what we're working to do is to give a better sense for students of what an adequate response to address the situation actually looks like. And each case is different. I mean, I will tell you, I've looked at some of the profiles of these cases. They're not cut and dry. I mean, some of them, you know, are very different. And so you need a variety of people to weigh in. But the most important piece that does not change is that young people should know, staff should know, faculty should know, right? Right. This, this is the process to your point of what should take place. And it's not just a, okay, great, we'll look into it. <laughs> and then nobody hears anything. And nobody else. does anything. Exactly. And so yeah. that we do know. The question is, how do, we, how do we make it so that folks know what to expect? And knowing that sometimes we're going to disagree on things. Like sometimes you know, people are like, well, we don't understand why you just didn't fire them outright. Well, because there's a whole lot of other steps that need to happen. Or we do an investigation and what a large number of people may have thought occurred did not occur. And that's what I mean by the, by the due process. process. But, it should, but it should never be that you flag something and somebody's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then nobody does anything. Nobody does anything. Exactly. And, and I think at least that piece of what I heard you talking about we should be able to be clear about that that needs to be clear absolutely and i think it's i think it's amazing for students to know how to respond to what like with the with the variety of cases oh lord with the variety of cases that i'm pretty sure you have seen your board of commissioners has seen everybody has seen you got to know the different responses and how to how to handle what case and what response to give to what case. And it's it's been something, but I have a question about the, the social media aspect of, mm -hmm. of making sure our voices are heard. So as you know, with BSA and I think a couple of other schools have pages where this happens as well, where the, the I'm not gonna say victims, I'm gonna say victors because they got the grip. Um, they would share their responses on, I'm not gonna say, you know, all the, what was said, but I'm gonna say they share their, their, their stories on social media and they would share them and it would get the attention of, we see how far this went. So do you think that, do you think that was a helpful way or if you were there, what kind of uh, ways would you have taken? Because some people are like, well, why did they just go to the board? I've heard, things like well why didn't they just go to the board and say it? why did they just do this and the students are like because the board is not listening it's it, that's as simple as it guys because the board wasn't listening so we're going to take to uh, a platform that people can hear us and if it gets back to them good that's what we want so what what 
responses or what steps, let me say steps, what steps would you have taken if you were like in the, in this instance and maybe social media wasn't the greatest idea or you didn't think social media was the greatest idea? Do you think it was good? Do you think it was, you're like weighing on that? Yeah. And, and you know, it's hard because I wasn't sitting where those students were sitting. Right. So, you know, they have a reason why they thought coming to the board was not going to work. They have a reason why they thought writing me directly would not work. Now, I will tell you, I have received emails from students in other schools directly to me as CEO. And I, I ask people to follow up on them directly. These this time I did not until stuff started blowing up on Instagram, but I, I never got one of those emails. So I don't know the particulars about what folks tried, what they thought had not worked. Um, but I do think it goes back to something Mitchell we were talking about earlier. And that is young people, students need to be clear about the variety of steps that they can take, right? And if you're not sure what those steps are, so if you feel like, look, I went to the principal and nothing happened and I said it again, so that means nobody's listening. Well, I can understand because if you only think the principal is who you go to and nothing's happening, then I would, I could easily understand why someone would feel like they got to put it on blast in Instagram. I do think one of the things we have to do, because again, not all young people do that. I, I sometimes get emails directly. I know my ombudsman, Karen Lawrence, is one of the places families and young people go if they feel like um, nobody has heard them before, right? And sometimes it doesn't mean everybody always agrees with what Ms. Lawrence says, but she does follow up with them, right? And she will loop me in directly. And I think that there are there are other ways, but you know, I can I can certainly imagine that if you know young people didn't know those ways, if students weren't aware of those other avenues, and they felt like now you know if if they say, look, I emailed you five times about this, Dr. Saint Teresa, and nothing happened. Well, then yeah, I, I definitely understand why you take that stuff. Right. Um, but I do think we have to do a better job at saying these are the other channels because what is clear to me is not all students know what those other channels are. Some use those other channels, some go straight to social media. And what I think my job is, is to make sure that students know those other channels, number one, and number two, that we are clear with administration and staff at the school level what, what proper follow-up looks like. So that even if students, because there are adults who disagree with, with decisions that get made. I mean, that's just part of life. It doesn't mean, and I think that's another piece. When folks, if is it that you want a response or unless I do exactly what you want me to do, then are you going to say I didn't respond? Or is it that I responded and you got part of what you want, but you didn't get the full piece? And see, I think that's why clarity of what the process is, is so important. Because sometimes 
you know, I'll have some students say to me, you know, I still disagree with you, but I felt like I was heard, right? But when it is an issue of safety, when it's an issue of safety, a student should not feel unsafe. And, and that's what we were originally talking about. That, that, that's different than I disagree with you on uniform policy, right? Or I disagree with you on, I don't know, whether we should be able to go across the street at break. That's different than I feel physically unsafe and I unsafe. feel as if yeah. no one is hearing me. That for me signals, okay, you need to have another channel to go to. Because a lot, that's what happens with a lot of parents. If they feel like they're not heard at the, at the school level, they feel like it's not going. Some of them will go to Chief Davis, who's the chief of schools. Mm -hmm. Some of them go to Karen Lawrence, who is the CEO's ombudsman, and that is her role. That's why she's in that role, to make mm -hmm. sure that everybody knows you don't have to just stop with one or two people. You have a way of appealing and saying, oh, wait. I still don't think this was addressed and it needs to be addressed. Um, and so that that is to me what's important because I can't go back and understand fully what the young people who posted were feeling in the frustration. But I do know that feeling physically unsafe has got to be a priority and nobody should feel in a school like they are physically unsafe and nothing is being done yep. to Absolutely. And I think it's very, uh, it's very, it's imperative. Let me put it this way. It's imperative to know uh, your roots and routes to where to go. Like if something like this happens, where do you go? Yeah. Um, what, what, what ways can you take? How do you know how to report it? Like what are your rights as a student, as a kid, as a, as a person? Yes. period what are your rights and i think it's very important for students today next year the year after that the year after i'm long out of baltimore city school system and i have a nine to five job somewhere like i think it's very important for students to know this so my next question is as as these policies and these things begin to roll in and the investigations continue what can happen to further educate students on in this case it would be consent with these types of things how can we further educate students and even the mental because i really this is me i really think that behind every predator predator there is an issue of the mind and that's me I think behind every predator, there is something that happened to them. There was a mindset approved by people around them. So how can we put mental health services in place, um, further educate students on consent? And this and the mental aspect of it could be a whole different conversation in itself. So how do we further educate these students or give the those that has happened to and those who are doing it what are the resources put in place for some for something like this like how can we further educate is what i'm asking no and i and i think that's you know that question is spot on uh one 
We have increased our investment in city schools in additional counseling support at the school level. Yep. So two years ago, there were some schools who did not have you know, any social worker. They only had a part-time social worker. We put it in the budget two years ago that every school minimally had to have one full-time social worker so that you had somebody trained in counseling, right? Who could help support, to your point, um, you know, the mental health needs of schools and students, right? Absolutely. What we're seeing, no surprise to you, is that there are some schools who need more than one person. There's some schools for whom there is an additional need. And so one of the things we're looking at now is are there places where we need actually not just one, but we need to add two people, right? Two. To make sure that as these, you know, incidences occur, that to your point, Mitchell, that there is a place for the perpetrator to go in addition to the consequences that are spelled out at each stage. And there's some place for the victim or the target to go. And I would say even beyond that, really what we're focusing on in addition to that is how do we just have positive school cultures and climates, period, right? Because what we're finding is in healthy school cultures, not that bad things don't happen, but that there is a sense of this is not how we do things here, right? This is not part of our culture. So we're also looking um, for when young people um, return in the fall, because some people are like, well, what's going to be different at school? We're looking at instituting wellness checks so that individual young people are getting wellness checks. So before you get into a space where you're engaging in behavior, the target of behavior, that, you know, you, you have somebody checking in on you, right? Like that's where it should come right. up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm finding this challenge, where is it to really beefing up the places in the school schedule, where to your point, Mitchell, like we can have conversations and young people can learn information about um, different, different behaviors and different, um, you know, what, what healthy relationships look like. What is acceptable, not acceptable? What are boundaries? In some schools, you know, it means implementing an advisory period. In other schools, it's mentoring or rap groups, right? Like how do we make sure as we return back to school that we have those places for young people to talk, but also for young people to your point to learn and get educated about one, what is acceptable and not acceptable behavior? when it comes to relationships, what are boundaries? Because sexual assault doesn't just happen. There are boundaries that are crossed. There are norms of behavior and and, an acknowledgement and valuing that have not taken place. And then, you know, the other piece is just to to the point you made earlier, where's a place where young people know these are their rights, right? (laughs) This is where we discuss, you know, when certain things happen, either on a date or being out or in a hallway, at a school yeah this is when that line gets crossed these are the things that you can do so we're we're hoping to create and we're working i won't say hoping we're working to create more time actually in the schedule in the school day for those kinds of conversations to occur so that we have we have a better handle on when young people are getting that information 
And I think that's very important for them to be able to have a space to talk as well as learn these things. And as well as like, like you said, wellness checks. I think that's amazing to be able to basically just have a safe space. Because I know a lot of, a, a lot of, people if you if you talk to them or if you ever have a conversation with them they've never really had that and again the mental health in school could go a whole different right. direction right. a whole different conversation for a yes. whole different episode for like two three episodes down call the line from- call me back for that one <laughs> absolutely if you are willing to come back part two is coming people but you know it's we need that and a lot of kids don't have those safe spaces or don't have those, don't have those people or places that they can go to, even if they say, this is where my head is and I'm losing it. And then for that person to even teach them and counsel them back to a certain place where they need to be to be able to perform academically, to be able to perform in any space, any area, any arena, any sector, because we know mental health affects everything. It can affect everything. It could be a big effect. So I think that's I think that's really good. And so my my last question for you, uh, Dr. Santalisis, is as we're moving into this next fall year, what is um, if you can give us if you can unpack what planning is looking like for you all, like for this specific instance, what policies are you going back and revising, or rewriting, or even implementing, putting in new ones? What is that? What is that going to look like for this upcoming school year? Yes. No, and that's great. And some of them I just relayed to you. Those are things that we're looking to implement, you know, wellness checks, um, more of the advisory talking space, sharing space. Um, we're looking to, to really implement that on the ground with uh, within like the first, uh, first quarter, first semester of school. Like that's, that's one of the things we're planning for now. I think the second piece um, a number of students know about, and that is we wanted to make sure that young people had the chance to recover academically because that's also causing anxiety, right? You have young people who yeah. at the high school level who check out who are like, wait a minute, I'm gonna fail three classes. So what folks probably know by now, um, and it doesn't mean every little incident is you know, totally resolved, but what we part of why we made the move to the no credit as opposed to failure on transcripts is because we wanted to acknowledge that young people, adults have been through a heck of a lot the last year and a half. I mean, this has not been, yeah. you know, this is this has not been easy on, on any of us. And so this is the year to have grace. And so the grading policy was a way to say to young people at different levels, it looks a little different at elementary, then it does at middle, then it does at high. But in each case, what we've said is, We've got to give students more time to actually make up some of the ground that they might not have been able to cover academically. And so that move from F to NC was to do that. So at the high school level, young people should be on the lookout for um, earlier opportunities to make up some of those classes during the school day, or maybe stay 45 minutes later on certain days to make up that class so we're not all just jam, trying to jam everything in one summer. Um, we've also said it's not gonna just be this summer, but next summer that young people will have more runway. Cause what we really just wanna signal is it's okay to come back. 
no matter how bad it was academically, we're here for you and, and we're going to give you the support that you need. So that's another thing that um, students should be looking at. And then I think the third thing I would say is um, we really this summer, you know, I've done some walking, I'm going to be doing some more walking. We need young people to tell us what does need to be in place. And you, you helped even this evening, Mitchell, by saying, you know, yeah, we need a space not just to learn, but to also talk and to process and to dialogue and to share. And that was helpful verification for me that, oh, okay, great. What we thought we heard, we did hear, right? That that's important. We need to hear from students. What is most important for you to, to find when you return back to school? And so yeah. we hear surveys, we've heard probably about from some 4,000 students already, but you know, we have 69,000 students in the system. And so we need to hear from more. We need to hear from more high school. We had a big round of middle school students weighing in, but we need more from high school, some from elementary. And I would say that would be something that would I would definitely encourage. Matter of fact, we're gonna be actually employing, paying some young people to go out and help get their classmates back to school because you all know what's gonna get your friends back in. You know, you know, I've had young people say to me, look, I checked out last fall, got a job, I'm bringing home money. I'm not planning on coming back, right? And so we need to know from their friends, from their peers, from them, well, what needs to be true in order for you to finish. So I would also say to students, keep your eyes out for information about how you can work this summer and into the fall and get paid to help bring your friends and your colleagues back to school and how you can help us know these are the things that if you have it in place will make a big difference about whether students come back or not and how they come back. So th those are some things I would be on the lookout for as students in terms of things that were shifting, some things we're doing differently. Awesome. So before we go, I do want to make this statement. Is there any, when when reporting these type of cases, or when reporting any um, grievance, if you will, when reporting any grievance with any school, any staff, any administrator, where do we exactly email or what do we do? Yeah, so I think that, so there's a couple of things. Um, a good place to start just uh, generally, we have a, um, you know, there's a, in terms of the sexual harassment, misconduct um, at BSA, you can send that to Jane uh, Aaron Field, who's the Director of Fair Practice and Compliance with City Schools. Um, and her phone number is 443-682-3121. Her email address is J-E-H-R-E-N-F-E-L-D at bcps.k12.md.us. So that's some place that you can just go. Like if you, if you feel, now again, that's also, um, you know, of a certain kind of legal threshold right, in terms of misconduct. If you feel like you're not being heard, right, if, look, I've lodged this concern, that concern, um, there's a couple places you can go to uh, K-12 
Karen Lawrence, who is the CEO's ombudsman. She's who I referenced earlier, uh, Karen Lawrence. And, you know, for example, she has helped with some young people around graduation policies, other things. Um, so I would suggest people reach out there. And then, um, then the other piece that, uh, that, that we really, um, you, you all need to hold us accountable for is making sure that we get out this student's guide to this is where you go, this is what your rights are. And we've had a number of organizations. Um, I know um, we, had, we had a number of youth organizations that worked together on school kind of policing know your rights. This is another variation of that. Like, what are your rights when it comes to sexual harassment? What are your rights when it comes to, you know, lodging, you know, frankly, A, I think, you know, this is, I'm unsafe and this is important. So, um, but th those are two places immediately I would go. And then I would look, uh, look for at our website um, announcements. Uh, Andre Riley and his team are gonna be working to help publish that guide for students. So you can also contact the communications office um, to see how that is, that's progressing. Because once we get that out, it'd be great if you and your colleagues could help us spread the word um, about, you know, what we have regarding information uh, that young people should have about where they can go when they're feeling unsafe or when they're feeling like uh, they need some due process um, at a school site. Awesome, awesome. Well, Dr. Santelisis, I can't thank you enough for joining me in this closing episode of our series. Are we gonna get you back? The world may never insert suspicious music here but no seriously thank you so much for joining us i'm pretty sure you cleared up a lot for students you cleared up a lot for me you probably cleared up a lot of adults that listen as well so we thank you you heard it here vibe central we out